Hello, listeners. Uh, thank you for joining us here on the Cave You Fear podcast. Uh, the title of this podcast comes from a phrase, um, quote from Joseph Campbell, uh, you know, worldwide mythologist who said, the cave you fear to enter holds the treasure you seek. And, you know, that comes from his research into, you know, myths from all over the world that follow a similar pattern of a hero, you know, leaving a place of comfort, uh, you know, community and going into an unfamiliar territory, and then eventually winding up at some critical moment, this cave, you know, fighting a a monster um, and coming out of that cave, having lost something, left something behind, but also gaining some sort of reward, some treasure um, and bringing that back home to save the world. And, you know, on this podcast, we talk to guests who, you know, have life experience that you know, parallels that, um, that metaphor. And, you know, we talk about those caves in their lives that they have entered, whether intentionally or accidentally, um, and what they lost and what they gained. So today on the podcast, uh, we have a friend of mine, Matt Langdon, um, and he is from Australia, as you will hear from his accent. So welcome to The Cave You Fear, Matt Langdon. Thank you very much. Live and direct from Australia. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, you know, the... This, the way that we kind of kick this off is just kind of, um, I like to keep the surprises rolling. So we'll kind of go through your life chronologically. And yep. where do you want to start? Do you want to tell us about uh, growing up as a kid? Yeah. Um, so I, I grew up mostly in a single parent family from age, what was I, like third grade. Um, moved around a little bit. Um, and in particular, had a um, I think pretty memorable and impactful, uh, change going into high school. So our high school here is seventh grade to 12th grade. So I was, uh, a very popular kid at my sort of more regional school, uh, in grade six, which was the top of primary school and, and throughout sort of had a very enjoyable time there and was, yeah, one of the cool kids. And then I, we moved to a different town, which was twice the size and, um, and also went to high school, which was, you know, I don't know, like eight times the size, 10 times the size. And, um, I just got like, just lost all my bearings. I think I was, um, I was definitely not one of the cool kids instantly. And <laughs> so um, when you say yeah. a, a small town to like, bigger and bigger towns, um, you know, would, did you live, you know, in the elementary grades in a town that was small enough that you had kangaroos and koala bears and. Yeah. So there's no such thing as a koala bear. It's just a koala. Get that, <laughs> Sorry. Get that straight. Um, the, yeah. So my, look, my first school um, was one portable classroom. So from grade, from sort of kindergarten to grade six, we were all in the same room. So that was small. Um, I left there from third grade to a, a, a bigger um, town. It's a, you know, it was a sort of a regional center. Um, 
and we would have had you know, maybe one grade per or one class per grade. So like there'd be one kindergarten class, one first grade class, you know, et cetera. Mm. Yep. And then um, went to sort of the, the number two city of the state. Um, and what there were, so the grades seven through 12, and there would have been six or 700 kids there, which for me, that was the, that was big. And then, it wasn't until I got to America that I realized that was a, a small high school. Yeah. Like just, you know, for comparison, <laughs> you know, I, my high school in the suburbs, well, not really suburbs, like upstate New York, an hour and a half North of New York city on the, in the Hudson river Valley. Um, it was 400 kids in my graduating high school class. Right. And that right. wasn't really huge. I mean, I wasn't yeah. in like a big urban city or anything. Right. So, when you say big, you know, <laughs> but, but yeah. anyway, so it, that helps put us in, in context. And so, you know, as you, you know, you were kind of a big fish in a little pond and then you ended up in the big pond in high school and you're like, wait a second, where'd all my street cred disappear to? Yeah. Yeah. And I had no fishy friends with me. So it was, I, I literally knew no, no one at the school. So, uh, it was, it was, yeah, it was, it was very transformational. I think it obviously had some impacts on my psyche. And so I was not a confident um, guy going through high school at all. Um, and then sort of uh, out, leaving high school, um, graduated with pretty decent grades, which certainly could have been better if I applied myself, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but went to a local university and just completely checked out um was not was not turning up to classes the way i should and um and then which which university yeah. can you name names yeah, yeah it was deacon university in geelong um so and at for, that time it was a, it was a commute you know it was, a, it was probably took half an hour to get there on the bus or probably more actually and, and sometimes a friend drove me but it just wasn't engaging me it was, probably wasn't the degree that I should have been doing. I was, I wanted to be a computer programmer, but I was because of financial situations. I was, I, that was the school I needed to go to. And their course was computer science and the, the architecture and science, etc., was not, not what I was interested in. And so, yeah, it just wasn't, it wasn't for me. And I think again, the social scene, I didn't, I wasn't living out there. Um, and I didn't sort of, I didn't stretch past the, the four or five friends that I, that I had come there from high school. And so it just sort of, it was not doing anything for me. Interesting. So, mm. you know, like metaphorically speaking, I mean, you, you know, you definitely left your comfort zone, right. To go to this high school. And it sounds like, yeah. you know, you're kind of floundering even through that and yep. and you know even here kind of moving all the way on into university afterwards still don't quite have your legs under you yeah well i mean that's that's an understatement i was i was spiraling out of out of uh or in into depression i suppose at that time um was not yeah was not in a happy place at all and then i I don't, I don't know if I was actively looking for ways out, but I, um, 
saw an article in the local newspaper about a, a young guy who had just come back from working at a camp in America, a summer camp in America. And for, and he just talked about how fun it was, how great it was. Um, and that he had come back and his sort of life had changed. And I just looked at that and I thought, right, that's what I'm going to do. And I'd never worked with kids before. I never had any intention to work with kids. Um, and it was a big, it was a big step. Like I, I knew that there'd be some money to get a flight to America. And we certainly didn't have that as a family. Um, but I signed up or just showed up to an information night in Melbourne, which to me was the big sort of scary city at that time, but you know, did it. And I took a friend with me. Um, and that sort of started a, a path that, you know, it was very much my call to adventure that newspaper article. And then I um, went, I just sort of kept, it, it started the roll down the hill or up, up climb up the hill, maybe. <laughs> it, it, certainly it was, um, it was, once that started, it was my way out for sure. It was a real shining light. Um, and I saw it as a way to get to visit Europe, which I'd always wanted to do. I had some, some cultural interest in the US, but wasn't, um, it wasn't on my top list of places to go. But oh, oh <laughs> Below Europe? Wow, yeah, very much. <laughs> so this so, program allowed you to, like, for, be, be, because from Australia, flying anywhere is really expensive because we're in the middle of nowhere. So this program sort of, there was some covering of flights and, and a bit of pocket money from the camp that would hire you. And then because Europe was close to America, you know, it was like $300 to add on a, a flight to, to London, which was probably, I don't know, it might not be an exaggeration to say that it was a 10th of the price of the, uh, a flight from Melbourne to London. So this was my opportunity to say, right, I'm going to get to London sort of at zero cost in the end. Um, and so I, all I need to do is save for that trip. So this was the summer between what, after your first year or after your second year at uni? No, it was even after my third year. I, I did three years of college and, and um, yeah, I mean, the last semester I was there, I don't think I even went to a class. So it, <laughs> it was, it was not a good time. So I now, you know, I wish now I had gone three years earlier. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But, but it's, it's interesting. <laughs> It's interesting, you know, like you, you know, you put your finger on it, like the call to adventure, this, you know, this news article or something that sparked in you this, you know, it just made some connection where like, okay, that's, I'm going to set that as my, as my goal, like choosing, you know, this cave. And then, you know, this obviously departing from Australia on this airplane, you know, is going to completely take you out of your comfort yeah. zone. Um, and put you in this strange place. So what was, I mean, it, it sounds like, you know, your, your family wasn't, you know, loaded with extra cash. Um, how did you scrape the money together? Um, my, my dad's mother. Um, well, let me think. My dad's mother and my mum's dad both uh, valued travel. Uh, my dad was Welsh. Uh, my dad, my granddad was Welsh and um, he lent me 
some money on a sort of a long-term, no, no fixed um, re repayment date. And I think, and I think my grandma gave me some money as well. So um, that's, that's the only way it could have happened. And, and, you know, thank, thanks to them for, for making that happen. And so what, um, like on that day that you, you know, your mom or dad, you know, dropped you off at the airport and you had your, your rucksack and you were 21 years old and like, what was that like? Um, it was, it was pretty exhilarating. Um, in part because of the, the trainings and meetings that we had before we went. So there was already a, a sort of, um, group of like-minded people who are, who are going on the journey with me. Um, so that I think there are about 40 of us. And so that, that really helped, um, to, to cross that threshold. I mean, we, and it really felt like an adventure because, <clears throat> um, we flew to, to get the cheapest flights. We flew to Osaka, which if you are looking at a, a map of the world, is not really on the way to New York. <laughs> so we, 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 I mean, I, I'd never been, I'd never flown anywhere. And so we flew to Sydney, stayed a night in Sydney, which was mind blowing to me um, as well. And all these, all these interesting people that were with, that, you know, that were on the program. And then we flew to Osaka, um, 40 of us all on the same plane sort of split around the plane and you could walk around planes at that time and, um, you know, and, and gather in, in planes, um, to be in Osaka, it was weird. And then flew to Detroit, which was my end destination, but then continued on to New York where we had a, a three day, um, gap before the training and set off to our camps happened. So there, it, it, it was a very, I mean, eventful it was momentous the uh the, that trip there was there was so many components to it that yeah i'll never wow. forget yeah so, so you spent a night in sydney and um and so you had come from the southern coast of yep. australia and so sydney yep. was you know like a a factor of magnitude bigger than any place you'd ever seen in terms of population yeah, I, it was it was, I mean, it's about the same as Melbourne, but it was, you know, Sydney's the iconic city of Australia when, you, when you're looking at the people looking in, I think. Um, and we were, we saw the bridge and the opera house and we had, had dinner there. And like that was, those were all brand new experiences to me. Sure. Um, and, and like I said, it was a new cohort of people as well. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, uh, just, yeah, it was an extraordinary, extraordinary trip. And then in Osaka, did you leave the airport or was that just a layover? No, no, but I like, no, we didn't. Um, but still it's, you know, a total culture shock to be illiterate absolutely. all of a sudden. Absolutely. And, you know, we, we met four military guys, American guys who um, saw us and kind of came over and, um, were showing off and they were, uh, they were on their way back to, back to the U S and they, after what did they, they said something like after just reviewing our conquered lands or something or on, on duty and, and declared. Yeah. So this was our first introduction to Americans. 
and then they they were they were yelling out swear words because they said these these people don't even understand and and it was just so surreal um and then yeah and then we did the long flight from osaka to detroit i think we went yeah we went straight to detroit that was uh back when northwest was flying and uh these guys uh, just stayed up you know, and they were talking the whole time, drinking. And um, I remember going back there at one point to talk to them. And I think they were all from New Orleans. And maybe they weren't all from New Orleans, but um, they were asking me where I wanted to go. And New Orleans is one of those places. And I said some others and they, they were like, ah, no, damn Yankees. You don't want to go around the damn Yankees. And this is the first thing I'm going to teach you. Damn Yankees is, a first, is one word. And <laughs> just all this, like, it was it was quite an introduction. Um, and then, I mean, I did, we could do a whole episode on the three days <laughs> in New York. Like, we'd so, been, it was very much, you know, that, that, that moment of crossing yeah. in the hero's journey, we, we got picked up by the woman that had been at the information nights. We'd been warned about how dangerous New York was. And she, they, she picked us up at the airport and then because New York's got terrible airport shuttle systems, mm-hmm. we got on a public bus um, at nighttime <laughs> to, to Harlem. 40 people. 40 Australians on this, uh, on this public bus with all of our backpacks. And this is, you know, 1994 when you had all these bulky rucksack kind of backpacks. And everyone had overpacked. Like I've got a backpack on, I've got a backpack on my front. I'm carrying yeah, another like, like handbag and I've got, um, you know, some, uh, maybe a, I don't know. There's something in my other hand as well, I think. Right. And the backpack and, is like the size of a Stonehenge rock. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And so, so we got out and I, for whatever reason I was confident and I think it was, I knew New York from reading. I knew, I, I knew, yeah, more more than the average person that was in that group, I felt like I knew New York. And we got out, um, we we got out in Harlem, and walked six blocks. Um, all these white Australians with their backpacks and clear, you know, clearly just off the plane to get to the subway. And I mean, guys came over to us offering to help carry our bags, and um, it it quickly became a siege mentality with the the woman who was leading us and and she just um was like don't engage don't talk to them and then we got onto the subway which was an ordeal because in those days you had to pay with change well no you had to buy tokens so you had to buy tokens for each of the 40 of us and then try to get through the turnstiles and all like that was traumatic and then got on the train um went a couple of stops all of us are like silent because because 1994, you know, New York was not, had not got the, the great reputation it has now. Um, and, and yeah, we were, we were also a little bit petrified, I think. And then um, this, you know, a homeless guy, someone got onto the train and was like, looked at us, <laughs> looked down the carriage was like, aha, here we go. And he just was like, welcome to my country. And that was like, and our leader just said, no, we're not interested. And he like changed instantly to screaming and like, how dare you? You don't know. I wasn't going to ask you for him as well. 
and we were like, oh shit, oh shit. Um, uh, yeah. Anyway, like I said, I could go on forever. And then, and then we got <laughs> out and into into uh, Lower Manhattan and walking to the YMCA and on Twenty Third Street. And I uh, man, it was just um, it was incredible. And then three days in New York, um, I, which was just this unimaginable adventure. Like I, yeah. the fact that I was not with my family i was in new york city with these cool friends that i'd met and we were going places and i knew places to take them and i knew the layout of manhattan and it was just it, i don't know i guess it was very confidence building and it was very um yeah it was <laughs> hugely memorable three days of my life um well yeah i mean here we yeah. are you know 26 years later and you still remember it vividly yeah yeah yeah. And um, so, you know, you weren't studying, you weren't even going to your classes, but somehow you had yeah. memorized, you know, the streets of Manhattan and cool places to check out. <laughs> yeah. Well, that was all through reading, reading comics and books and, um, you know, New York's a mythical city. So, um, yeah, it was great, like going to Hell's Kitchen and the, the Bowery and Central Park. And it was, yeah, it was incredible. Oh, that's that's great. So, okay, so um, you know, just to, so where did you? So all forty of you didn't go at the same camp, did you? No, right. So New York was one of the drop-off points to get a kind of day-long training. Like this is what camp is going to be like. This is what it's like to be in America. This is, um, yeah, like what to do if you have problems and all that sort of stuff. And then the next morning we were all shipped off in various ways to the camps. So I flew back to Detroit um, and then was picked up by the camp director um, and driven up to camp. And that's another sort of crossing the threshold moment when I drove into camp the first time. Now it's, it's interesting. So the, um, the 40 people that you were with, I mean, this is, you know, like you said earlier, you know, like-minded people, you know, obviously, you know, they're yeah. all, all Australians, all young, all, you know, up for this, you know, adventure for getting, yep. getting out of Australia, going someplace, you know, strange. Had any of them, were any of them returning? Had they done this before? No, none of them had done it before. None of them had done the camp thing before, but they had, yeah. um, a couple of them had been to America. Yeah. And, so, and probably some of them had traveled too. So, all right. So then, you know, they all go off to their different places and um, that must've been, I mean, then there must've been like, you know, goodbyes, right? You've just spent three days with them oh, having this incredible. Terrible. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was crying at the airport. Um, I, I, yeah, it was bad. <laughs> <laughs> and then, and then I got to the camp, you know, and um I wanted, be, I wanted to be back in New York, you know, and I was, I was yeah. still resisting, uh, you know, I was back to fearing entering the cave, um, which I hadn't been in going to America, but then I got to the camp and, um, you know, they, they were all strangers. And it, was, it was, you know, I had clearly in front of me, I'm going to be here for 10 weeks. You know, this is my home for 10 weeks now. Um, 
and then yeah it was it was a it was a that was a tough tough time as well so 10 weeks you've got 10 weeks you know staring at you and you know that your job is pretty much to you know be on duty 24 7 you know looking after yep. kids and um so did they so I, you know did they give you sort of a camp specific orientation right away or yeah yeah so i, I got there a few days before most of the staff um because they wanted to let us acclimate so there was there was a guy from trinidad and a woman from sweden who were uh picked up with me and so yeah we i think we were invited to someone's parents house for a barbecue or something and and i just sort of i was looking at all these people and i was like i don't have anything in common with you and you know just i, I without even giving them a chance to find out whether I did, it was very much mm. like, I just want to be back with those people. I've just had the most amazing experience of my life with. Um, so that's what it was. It was very much the looking backwards instead of the looking forwards. So then, then we had a, a week long staff training. So it only took a day of that for me to fit in and be, be excited to be there. So you had the week-long staff training and then the kids showed up and then, you know, it was summer camp for them for like nine weeks. And what, what kind of summer camp was this? Was, this, was there like archery and canoes and stuff or what? Yeah. Was... Yeah. So fun, like funnily enough, well, broadly it's a YMCA camp. So that, and the sessions were Sunday to Friday. So the kids would come in on Sunday and go home on Friday. Um, but the first week actually was uh, a group of army veterans and they were in homes and so they came out to camp for a week and all during staff training <laughs> all during staff training not all during staff training but but the, the 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 discussion was the vets would be coming in next week and so you know we've got the vets and then we've got the kids and vet is not a term in australia um other than for someone who likes to, to fix animals. So in my head, I was these, these like vets were coming out to like have a retreat or something. Like I just didn't net up. I, I think it, it wasn't that I was confused. It was just that, um, I just sort of took it as, okay, well, that's what's, that's what's happening. So I didn't think that I didn't even think to, to say really a vets coming in here. And then, um, I think the day of they turned up these, these army veterans, all sort of 60, 70 year old guys, none of them fully mentally with it. And, and I was put in a cabin with these guys and they're like, here you go, here's the schedule. And, uh, you know, that was a thrown in at, at the deep end. Um, <laughs> so yeah, there was, so yes, but yes, the general, the general, um, structure was a week at a time. Um, and we had kids from all sorts of different backgrounds. Um, it was the Flint YMCA, Flint, Michigan. So we had kids whose parents couldn't afford to send them to camp, um, that were there on scholarships. And we had kids from Oakland County, which I think at the time was the second richest county in the, in the country because of the motor industry. Um, so we had kids in the cabin that whose parents could have bought the camp without thinking about it, you know, mm. um, which was an amazing experience to have that yeah really diverse groups yeah 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 
So, you know, as, um, you know, as a 21 year old, you know, ostensible university student, you know, (laughs) you you had gone on this thinking, all right, I'm going to go, I'm going to spend 10 weeks in America. I'm going to get to go to London and I'm going to come back to Australia and, you know, I'll, I'll have changed. Something will have transformed me. And, you know, I guess we already know that happened. Right. But what, what, what shape did that take? Like what, what, you know, did you lose? What did you gain? You know, what, and what were those moments? Yeah. Well, I looked at that summer was, was, was absolutely transformative. Um, It, it gave me, confidence um in in so many ways it gave me sort of social confidence amongst my peers it gave me confidence to speak in front of groups um all all sorts of things problem solving all sorts of things and then really i got to the end of the summer um feeling very accomplished and and very different um very confident and then i went I went on the planned trip to Europe. So I had bought a, um, a one month Brit rail pass. So the train, oh, yeah. a train, train pass. Right. Um, and then for, the, two for months, the whole, wow. Three months. So were, yeah. Yeah. So that was, I mean, this was the adventure. The camp thing was the excuse the to yeah. the end. Yeah. Oh, I gotcha. So yeah, I had two months planned traveling around Europe and a month in, um, in, in the UK. And, um and when i got to that point i had the same experience i did when i came in from new york i was looking back i was i had just um had a girlfriend the last few weeks of the camp and all i wanted to do was go back and see her um i wanted to be with those people i want to you know i'd had i'd met people that i still talk to today um and so my experience on that trip was definitely not what was planned. Um, you're feeling lonely and yeah. And, and looking back, like it was like, I've got to get back to camp and I've got to get back to those people. Um, and, and mostly it was to get back to my girlfriend. Um, and, and she, the way that the, was she, the flights uh, were structured was the, she was American. Gotcha. So the, the flight that, that we got was structured so, such that, it was a Melbourne to Detroit flight return round trip. And then they added on a Detroit to London flight. So I was able to change the dates. So I knew I was headed back to be with her. And so it definitely, it definitely colored my experience to the point where um, after the month in Britain, I would, I was thinking very strongly about just going straight back to Detroit or back to Michigan and, um and i had a moment where like my whole goal was to get to paris paris was my was my dream and it got to this point where i just got too scared to go um and it had already decided i'm not going to do the two months in europe because i have got money and i want to be back back in michigan and etc and um I don't know what, I don't remember what it was that pushed me, but I, I did go to Paris and um, there's a whole nother, whole nother story there of crazy uh, experience, but right, no, I'm going to tell you actually, because it's re- it's a really important learning um, 
that I, I, I share with my kid. I had a contact in Paris who was going to let me stay with her. Um, she was the sister of my uncle and aunt's friend. And I had, this is back before email or probably not before email, but certainly before broad usage of email. And so I'd written letters to her during the summer. Everything was all set. Um, the week before I was, I started calling to make sure all the details were worked out. Cause I, you know, I didn't know how I was going to get around and I couldn't get hold of her. And to the point where I, the, the night before I left, I still hadn't heard from her. Um, so I was getting a ferry from England and then a train down to Paris. And I didn't, I didn't know the address. I didn't, I hadn't heard from her. Um, and so I went and I was petrified. Um, but what happened was on the boat and then on the train, there was a group of sort of smallish group of young people all happened to be on the same train carriage. And there were four English guys who were so ill prepared for a trip to Paris that it just made me feel like, Oh, of course there are people that are in way worse positions <laughs> than I am in as far as like the, the, the difficulty of getting stuff happening. Um, I'm going to be okay. Um, and I knew like I, I was going to get, the, I had some French uh, francs already. So I was going to go to a payphone when I got there. And these guys, they just didn't know. They just did not understand anything. They were going to Paris for the day to go to a horse race. And, and it was one of those things where they, they were loud and drunk and some younger, some like some of the women were like, uh, sort of poking the bear a little bit and being amused at how dumb these guys were and, and said, you know, where, where is the horse race? And they're like, ah, we don't know, but we're going to meet someone who's going to take us there. And then like, where are you going to meet them? Ah, the big arch thing. There's, isn't there a big arch? <laughs> and, I, and I was just like, oh my God. Okay. I'm, I'm in okay shape. And <laughs> I have to, I have to remember that story or remember that experience myself often to say, you know, it, it really helps with um, imposter syndrome where you think, oh, I'm right. just, I'm not the right person to do this, but man, there are so many people doing exactly what you're doing that are way worse prepared than you are yeah. way, you know, way less skilled or qualified or, or whatever it might be. So, yeah, so that, you know, I went back to um, stay with my girlfriend at Michigan state university. And then I, called up the camp one day and said, I'd like to come and see you guys. And they said, oh, do you want a job? And so um, I think there's enough time between now and then to say that I worked illegally there for <laughs> two months um, and, and then went back to Australia and um, immediately started working on working out how to get back. Wow. So during those two, um, during the two months, you were still seeing your girlfriend. Yeah. And, and yeah. working for the camp. And yeah. um, so those two months must have been kind of fall season for America. Yeah, it was October, October, November. So I got to experience Halloween for the first time and Thanksgiving and. Um, and so uh, the camp. Yeah. And, and, yeah. Speaking of ill prepared, I was in Michigan with summer clothes <laughs> coming back to October to work outside all day. So the uh, camp, quickly. yeah, the, the camp runs all year. I mean, that's like, yeah, 
Okay. Yeah. So schools would take their, you know, like their fifth grade camp or sixth grade camp and we would um, teach them like outdoor education stuff, whether it's you know, water science or just hiking or canoeing or um, all sorts of, all sorts of things. And that's, that's what made me fall in love with the camp experience was that I was working with kids alongside these great people and I didn't have to sleep in the cabin with them at nighttime. So I had my own room and it was like, it was kind of a halfway home for wayward teenagers or, or young twenties. Um, <laughs> I didn't have to pay the bills. You know, I wasn't responsible for buying my own food or paying my bills. I just lived there. I worked there. I got a little bit of money and got to go out to restaurants every weekend and spend <laughs> that money. Cause that was, that was kind of it. So it's interesting, you know, like when you left Australia, you had this concept of, all right, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll spend 10 weeks, you know, quote working, but I'm, I'll spend you know, 12 weeks traveling around Europe and, you know, having this transformative experience. And it, it totally flipped around like the camp yeah. transformed you and Europe became this distraction. Yep. Yep, absolutely. And, and it just goes to show that you know, the best laid plans. Yeah. I, it's, it's, yeah, I, that's absolutely what happened. And I think um, it's a good example of taking or, or experiencing things that you might not otherwise do just in case, you know, I, I didn't have any inclination that I'd enjoy working with kids. And then I really, really did. And, um, you know, I don't know that I would have ever discovered that because why would you, if you're, especially if you're sure. a computer programmer, you don't you're not gonna <laughs> all of a sudden think, you know, what I'm going to do is try to go and work with some kids. Although, you know, some obviously do as well. There's some education there. So um, why didn't you just stay in Michigan? Like, why did you bother coming back to Australia? Uh, visas and all that kind of stuff. Mm. I think, um, that's the, uh, that, that's what it was. I mean, I, and in fact, I think what, I think there was something around that when I was, um, I was, I, I tried to extend my flight past Christmas, I think, and they just wouldn't let me, I think, I think there was something around that. So, um, I, there was a, uh, sort of a traineeship program, an 18 month program that we got to work on as soon as I got back to Australia and um, uh, like I think I went back to camp in the May. So I got home in December. I worked with, <laughs> I worked in like a school vacation program in Australia a couple of times and then went back. Yeah. I went back in May of 2015, uh, 1995. Um, and then sort of, didn't ever leave properly again. <laughs> and did you, did you ever finish your Geelong university program? I did not. No, no. I, um, sort of took, I did, I did get some of the credits converted over to a community college in Flint, but I, um, uh, yeah, I did just didn't finish that for whatever reason. I don't, I, yeah, it was a weird experience because I had learned so much at camp to, to go back to college and um, right, right. just just so that I could fit what the YMCA wanted me to be as a director. It was, yeah, it just didn't, didn't end up. So, so you went back to camp and then 
how many years did you work at that camp? I was there for 12 years. Wow. 13, 13 summers in a row. Yeah. What did you do in between the summers? Uh, well, I mean, sorry. Yeah. 12 years. I was there all year round. Oh, okay. So yeah. well, that's a long time. Um, it, it is a long time. I'm very old. <laughs> no, I mean, just to, you know, to live abroad, you know, like in a yeah. foreign country. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. and, you know, so when you, when you showed up um, that second time, you know, you had less than a year under your belt, but um, so over those 12 years, you, you know, you must've started from the bottom and kind of, you know, gradually built up. Yeah, I, absolutely. It was very, very much that um, I spent two summers as a counselor and then I was, uh, you know, I had a series of heroes journeys, really. I was thrown into being the ranch director and I'd ridden a horse like six times before that. And it was all within the two months before. <laughs> um, but so I was, was forced to learn very quickly. Um, but it, it gave me such opportunities to not, not I was going to say develop leadership and a style of leadership, but I wasn't deliberately doing that, but it was just, um, I was give, I was sort of in charge of three or four staff and a program and, 15 to 20 kids each week and, and not really bothered. It was sort of like, here, here you go. Um, we haven't got time to worry about you. So make sure you, you're doing it properly. And um, after that became the, the summer camp director and then the outdoor, outdoor education director, and then um, ended up being in charge of all programming and staffing and um yeah, it was it was an incredible experience. Wow, that's great. So, twelve years, and then what? What did you do following the camp? Yeah, so I left there when my wife Karen got her teaching degree, and I started uh, trying to teach heroism to kids. Um, I I'd fallen in love with the um, one hour sort of clusters that we did at, at camp. And I thought if I can, I, well, I started working on it and, and got a, a one hour uh, sort of classroom presentation that was, that, that sort of took off and then went in lots of different directions as well. And I, it didn't take off. It was, it was well received and I'm a terrible salesman, so it never properly <laughs> took off, but it, I was very curious, I suppose. And I, I just reached out to talk to people as much as I could. And, um, that, that habit provided me with, um, interesting rabbit holes to go down and interesting opportunities. And so that was 2006 and I'm still doing that now. So the, um, you know, the, the, the girlfriend during your Europe trip was that, she become your wife or no? Uh, she did, but not this wife. So yeah, oh. she was, she was, she was my wife and then she wasn't my wife or is, isn't my wife. Um, I think Karen, we started dating in the early two thousands. Um, yeah. And you know, like dating at camp is a, is a whole series of adventures as well. It was, um, 
I mean, it was, yeah, there's a, the, the thing about camp is living there and working there. It's such a microcosm and it's so intense. You're working long hours. Um, but then you're also living with the same people you're working with. And it, it was a really incredible experience. And I've said so 12 years there and I've had 14 years out of there and you just, and I know this is a function of getting older anyway, but to imagine trying to squeeze the 12 years into the 14 years, you know, mm. I just, you feel like you'd have to do it twice. It's yeah, um, so densely it's, packed. Yeah. 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 Oh, I mean, all I, those new experiences and just, yeah, new, new uh, learning and all that kind of stuff. I, I know exactly what you mean. You know, I worked at boarding schools for a little bit and, you know, at, at 6.30, I'm waking kids up and, you know, I'm teaching classes all morning, sports all afternoon, you know, eating every meal with them and, you know, making them do their homework after dinner and then, you know, calling lights out at, you know, 10 o'clock. So, it's, yeah. it's a long day, you know, and have of, you know, six days a week like that. It's, it packs a lot in. <laughs> yeah. And you're just, you're dealing with new stuff every day. Like there's some emergency, you know, we, you just, uh, you just got to be fluid and um, you're dealing with new kids and there would be, especially year round, there'd be teachers coming in. So you'd be interacting professionally in front of teachers and parents and kids and um yeah a lot of lessons learned uh and and it was sort of day to day it was it was predictable but also unpredictable and season to season the same way like mm. you knew what was you knew what was happening in summer um you knew what was happening in the fall and, and winter and spring and um yeah I, I it's it's very hard to imagine getting all the training and experience that I did anywhere else. Well, right. I mean, you know, you mentioned the university experience, you know, and you're disengaged and, you know, obviously that's a very, you know, academic kind of classroom, you know, methodology and, you know, learning modality. Right. And here, yeah. you know, at the camp and you've been on a horse six times and I'm like, okay, great. You're in charge of all the horses and yeah. totally different way of learning you know, hands-on immersion, <laughs> sink or yeah. swim. Um, and obviously something, you know, a, a format that really um, energized you and, you know, allowed you to, you know, level up very quickly. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I still remember the day I, um, uh, I, I was given uh, like a, work, a, a lesson plan for teaching orienteering with a compass and was just said, they just said, go down and you've got to go down and teach this. And I said, can I watch someone teach the class first? No, we haven't got the staff. And I was like, all right. <laughs> I remembered, I remembered, you know, I remembered learning to use a compass and doing orienteering at camp. And then, um, and I just thought, I just embraced it. I was like, right, I know how to do this. I just have to work out how to teach it. And, I think that was my attitude from then on. I was, I was very happy to make up um, new classes and not think, Oh, I'm not qualified to do this. And I, I just loved the, the freedom of that. I loved being able to create experiences, which is ultimately, you know, what I do now. 
Yeah, no, and and that's such a, you know, such a valuable thing that it, it isn't, you know, encouraged or taught in sort of a traditional you know, didactic classroom yeah. where it's very much, you know, packaged and spoon fed. And, you know, to say, you know, here, here's something <laughs> that you're like barely familiar with. Guess what? Now you're an expert. Um, you know, go, go, <laughs> go be the expert. We yeah. 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 And that, that was an important lesson early on too, was um, being told, I can't remember who told me, but he said, listen, all you need to do is know this material better than a fifth grader. <laughs> and I thought, oh, right. Yeah. <laughs> and that's, that's really helped me in, in, at, at, at a lot of times when I was speaking about heroism in front of intimidating audiences, it was like, no, you know more about this than they do. There's, there's no way that they know more. So go, go from that perspective, go from that um, uh, position. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Wow. So, um, so during the 12 years you, you met Karen and um, you know, you, the two of you got married and she got her teaching certificate and then what did you do? So we left uh, and she took a teaching job. She'd had two options. Uh, one was a full-time job and one was half-time, but at a school that she really uh, clicked with the, with the people and I had no income or, you know, I had sort of um, lofty dreams, I'm sure, but we just took that, that leap. Um, I think I cashed out my retirement to pay off the car that I had. And we just, we just like handled it. Um, and that turned out to be a great decision. She loved the school. Um, and I started getting paid randomly and we sort of treated that as a, um, as, as our luxury money. Um, but she, she got hired full time the next year. And, um, so we stayed there for, how long did we stay there? Seven years, six or seven years. Um, this was in Michigan still? Yeah. Yeah. In Michigan, really quite close to where we were before. And this was, and during this time you were developing and going out and doing the, um, the hero training courses. Yeah. 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 So I, I had relationships with a lot of schools, obviously from the camp. So got to test it out um, with some of them and then they, some of them started paying. And I think actually my first gig was from a, someone in Kansas who had, this really showed me the power of the internet. I had built a site, um, I think with profiles of heroes um, that I just sort of saw as an online encyclopedia for heroes. Um, and someone in Kansas Googled a certain hero that I'd written about, found the site and hired me. And I just was like, Oh wow. my God, this is, this is going to be so successful. This is incredible. <laughs> um, yeah. So, uh, and, and look, life has been kind of that, that kind of sporadic nature ever since it's, I never really got a consistent, um, schedule in that sense. I, there were some schools I went back to every year. Um, but it was pretty hit and miss. Um, but it was a really, I, I think camp ruined me for a job that's the same and predictable. So I'm, I'm easily um, distracted by, by projects. So I'll, I'll do something and then 
some other idea will come and I'll, I'll start working on that. And um, I think it keeps me sane or it keeps me at my level of sanity to have, <laughs> uh, all these different projects. Um, so that, that has very much been life is, is working on lots of different things. So yeah, let's talk about some of those different things. I mean, you know, along with the, the, you know, school program, um, you also launched a conference. Yeah. So I, I, as I said before, I really was inquisitive about the topic and trying to, to, to learn and get as many perspectives as I could. And right at the start, I read an article uh, about sort of the psychology of heroism. And I, I, I reread it as soon as I finished because it was like, this is, these people have been like looking into my brain or something because it was all like, it was talking about all the things that I was talking about. So the 80% correlation. And I just thought, wow, I've got to find out what's going on with this research. And so I just Googled the first author and emailed him and said, you know, this is what I'm doing. And I'd really love to um, hear about the research when it comes out because I, you know, I want to do as good a job as I can. And so that was Phil Zimbardo, who I had no idea uh, of his reputation and history. Um, but he wrote back that same day and said, yes, we have to work together. Um, and, but it all just sort of happened. And I think after, you know, reading his Wikipedia page after that, I was like, oh, okay. And, you know, he invited me to his house straight away and, and we were, we were talking and collaborating on stuff right from the start and, I just, my, that just sort of made my reality um, a world where people respond. It doesn't matter who they are, if they're interested. So I just, I would email anyone who, um, who had written something or said something or, you know, whatever um, that was of interest to me in the topic. So uh, that led to having this kind of, um, group of hero interested people who I, I bounced off all the time. And, and after being invited to speak at a couple of TEDx conferences and going to a couple of education conferences, I thought we need a, uh, we need a conference for the hero people. And really my focus was to get them into the same room to meet each other. So we could all sort of have a, a better, um, social bond i suppose and and hatch plans and uh, so <laughs> created the hero round table and and that's exactly what happened it really created some long-lasting relationships and long-lasting like the first one was in 2013 but the I, you know those those relationships that were formed on the internet initially are now uh relationships that are with people with real people that have had those in-person experiences that i know are so effective from camp. And um, so that's, that's a big part of what I do now is put on, well, what I have been doing until um, COVID is putting on conferences while also still doing as much of the education and writing as I can. And, um, you know, speaking to wildly varying uh, groups about heroism and, and it's a, yeah, it's been a really great, experience in that way oh yeah i mean you know i've i've been lucky enough to 
speak at a couple of those and attend a lot of them. And, um, you know, the people that I've met there um, on the speakers list and, you know, the folks, you know, in the, in the audience participating are, are such a great, you know, segment of humanity, you know, everyone sort of self-selecting into this mission, this, you know, interest in yeah. being better people. Yeah. And I think it really is tied to something I mentioned earlier about uh, my experience at camp in just coming up with stuff and trying it and, and without a lot of outside influence. And so mm. the hero round table is a conference more as I sort of imagined a conference would be, be without being a conference veteran or, or conference regular. Mm. So it was really going to a couple of those events seeing what worked and what didn't work and then thinking, well, but this is what I want it to be. And so I'm just going to do it that way. <laughs> and, and, and so I think it surprises people who are conference veterans that in, in, in its difference. Um, and hopefully I think it does surprise people who don't go to conferences that this is a conference. This is what a conference could be. Yeah. So, you know, obviously it's, um, you know, with the coronavirus, COVID-19, there's the world of, you know, events and conferences and trade shows um, is currently, you know, on hold and it'll probably start again, but it'll probably have a different shape. Um, and, you know, I'm sure you and the team are, you know, thinking about that and, and figuring it out. But is there, is there anything else that's, you know, on the horizon for you? Uh, well, I've got a book that I'm submitting to the publisher this weekend that should be finished. It's got, it's for sort of middle school age um, and maybe, maybe younger high school as well. Um, but I don't, I'm sort of at the, at a position where I don't know. Uh, yeah. I don't know what's next. And, as you said, COVID's hugely grayed the area of uh, conferences and it's on one hand easy to imagine everything going back to normal and just, yep, yeah, that's, this is life. We go to, we have conferences. Um, but it's also easy to imagine that really not happening again. And, and, and probably a lot of it's got to do with how COVID-19 affects the U S in the, in the end. Um, so I'm trying not to plan too much. I'm certainly thinking about the options, but I'm, I'm very aware that there's, there's no stable ground to be making decisions on yet. Mm. Yeah. So the, what's the, what's the title of the book? Uh, it is tentatively, maybe not tentatively called the hero handbook. And it's really a summation of all the different pieces of hero teaching I've done over the, over the last 12 years, 14 years. Great. Um, and when does it come out? Uh, this year. I, I, I don't know exactly how, how long the process is to get it um, typeset and printed and all that sort of thing, but it's, it'll be, it'll be soon. So I'm, I'm looking forward to that. And again, it's sort of, it'll be a, a different sort of publication date because it's, 
it is in the middle of um, of this weird uh, weird state. Um, so uh, yeah, I'm look. I'm hoping that it gets picked up in schools. I think it's. I think there's a lot of stuff that kids don't get to hear in schools in their preparation for their transitions. Um, like I'm going into a school next week to talk to the kids about the transition into high school and, and really use the hero's journey for that. But yeah, I'm, I'm sort of, um, there's no clear journey ahead at the moment. And, but I'm, as I said, I'm sure the book is going to be a, a call to adventure of some sort, what that ends up being, who knows, but certainly having a book out, as you know, is a, is a path in and of itself. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I think it'll much like your, you know, trip, your plans trip to Europe, um, which ended up being a trip to live in Michigan for a decade. <laughs> um, yeah. You know, who knows where it'll take you, right? I mean, it, you think you're just publishing a book that's going to be a helpful, you know, business card to get some school, um, you know, some school, you know, uh, appointments or visits or what can I say? Maybe <clears throat> <Let me> rewind. Yeah. <laughs> so you, you think you're publishing a book to, you know, that's going to be a helpful asset um, for your presentations um, for school-aged audiences. Um, but, you know, it might be an, an, a doorway into something you didn't see coming yeah absolutely and that's uh I'm, I'm definitely not planning on it being anything in anything specific so um absolutely i I'm, i know that it's going to do something but i'm not again i'm not planning for anything yeah so yeah um and maybe, maybe that's a lesson learned from from years of thinking things were going to go a certain way and not um yeah, maybe that's again. Maybe that's the some of the uh, the knowledge brought back from various journeys. <laughs> yeah, maybe right. The not just the um, the ability to kind of think on your feet and you know accept whatever strange um, strength request or challenge is offered yeah. to you but um you know to be ready for that and you know watching for it absolutely yeah